Good morning. It's good to see some of you again and some of you for the first time. I want to just uh, declare my intention that I want to go on the Alaska trip. Is it too late? I need to talk to that missions pastor very quickly. So uh, I also want to thank the church for having us. Thank Pastor Steve for inviting us to come alongside your ministry here for a little while. Also thank uh, Brett, the executive pastor, for making such good arrangements, particularly I'm sure he and Katie worked on the weather together so that when I arrived we had uh, no problem landing and, and uh, got some warm, warm air here for a change. I come from Atlanta, Georgia. My partner here with me comes from Birmingham. So uh, we're a different place. But as I shared yesterday, even though we come from different parts of the country, we are part of the same body of Christ. And so there's a fellowship of spirit when we meet. There's that commonality of what God has done in each of our lives. There's that Holy Spirit that indwells each of us, that extends a kind of a warm welcome that the world really doesn't understand or can't explain. So uh, as we get started this morning, uh, the title of this message is Handle Your Tests in a Way God Can Bless. Handle your tests in a way God can bless. Now, it's rhyming intentionally there, if you catch a little bit of rhyme. If you don't take any more notes, just remember that one little statement, because that's the main thrust of the message, to handle your tests in a way God can bless. Uh, Tests come uh, in many forms into our lives, and they start really all the way when we're in school. I don't know about you, but I still have dreams that I am back in high school and that there's a test I'm unprepared for, right? Have you had this dream? Don't leave me out on a limb here by myself. I got a hand in the back. All right. So the test is there. I'm unprepared for the test. For some reason, I cannot remember the locker combination on my locker, right? And then I look down and I realize I'm not wearing any clothes. (laughs) Have you had this dream? Please don't leave me by myself. But the panic when the test comes, and tests come in all different forms. So one day, there were four high school boys who were afflicted with spring fever, and they skipped their morning classes. After lunch, they reported to the teacher that their car had a flat tire. That's why they were late. Much to the relief, she smiled and said, well, you missed a test this morning, so take seats apart from one another and get out your notebooks. Still smiling, she waited for them to settle down. Then she said, first question, which tire was flat? (laughs) From Adam to Abraham, from Job to Jesus, from Peter to Paul, from our spiritual parents to us, we all face tests. The question is, how do we handle those tests in a way that God can bless Tests will come, they have to, because God wants us to see what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts. But the test provides an opportunity, if we're paying attention, to recognize what's in our hearts so he can see, we can see what he sees. And we can move on in our walk with the Lord. The kind of tests I'm talking about are not uh, about what you know. It's about who you are. It's not about material you have studied. You are the material being studied. It's not about an examination of the facts. It's an examination of your acts. It's not a test over things you have heard. It's a test over things in your heart. And and not only am I talking about the individual tests that we each face in our lives, which come 
with more frequency than we desire sometimes. I'm also talking about the tests that come into the life of a church, into a life of a body of believers. Now, there's one biblical character who faced many tests during his life, and he did a pretty good job at addressing most of them. I'm talking about a young man whose father had turned away from God, yet this son decided to break the family cycle and follow the Lord. At the age of 25, think about that. At the age of 25, he took the throne of Judah, the land of Judah. And during his first year of reign, this is what he did. He prepared for a new move of God by cleansing the temple. He called the religious leaders to renew their relationships with the Lord. He held a solemn assembly and called the people to repentance. He made a new covenant between the nation and God. He he made sure his leaders honored their covenantal commitments. He encouraged his people to turn back to God. The people threw away their idols and straightened out their lives. Then these same people took this revival home to their communities and lived it out. Now this revival took place under the reign of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. And as we look at his life and times, after he did all these wonderful things to get God's people right with God and to cleanse the temple and to get the nation back on the right path, 2 Chronicles 32.1 has this amazing statement. After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Did you catch that? After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. After the acts of faithfulness came the test. I I don't understand that exactly. You honor God. You're trying to do what's right. You get everybody in line. Everyone's trying to honor God and do what's right. And then the test comes. And this is how it was for Hezekiah. You know, we would hope that church life and our personal lives would be unending sunshine. We expect there to be peace and unity in the body of Christ and in our families, in our personal lives. But sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes the tests come, and the tests are not easy. And so we have to work our way through them. So uh, the passage we want to look at this morning is 2 Kings 19. This event that we're going to be reading about was so uh, dramatic that it is recorded in three places in the scriptures. It's recorded here, it's recorded in 2 Chronicles, it's also recorded in the book of Isaiah, because Isaiah plays a role in this situation as well. So here's the first thought I want to suggest to you this morning, how to handle your tests in a way God can bless. To handle your tests in a way God can bless, humble yourself and seek God's counsel. Humble yourself and seek God's counsel. Here's what the scripture says in verses 1 through 7 of 2 Kings 19. And when King Hezekiah heard it, now what did he hear? He got a message from the enemy that the enemy was at the gate and they're going to sack Jerusalem. That's the message he got. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. He then sent Eliakim, who was over the household with Shebna, the scribe, and the elders and priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. 
they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, this is a day of distress and rebuke and rejection, for children have come to birth and there's no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent, the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, after a prayer for the remnant that offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, in which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So Hezekiah is facing this really difficult test because Sennacherib and his general have brought 185,000 men and surrounded Jerusalem. They are ready to enter the city. He gets this letter explaining what the Assyrians plan to do. And first thing he does in verse 1, he tears his clothes. This we know from Scripture is a symbol of grief and brokenness. Uh, then he puts on sackcloth, which is a symbol of humility. He enters the house of the Lord, which is a symbol of prayer and worship. He sends officials to go get counsel from Isaiah the prophet. How many political leaders, I don't know, is, is, are politics as crazy in Minnesota as they are in Atlanta? Are we all not afflicted by the national news, right? How many political leaders do you think respond to this kind of crisis by going into the prayer room instead of the war room? How many leaders in crisis seek guidance from spiritual leaders? You know, Hezekiah finishes well in this story because he starts well in this story. He goes to Isaiah, who happens to be alive at the same time in history, and says, we need a word from God about what is happening in this situation. I also want to stroll back to verse 1. And King Hezekiah heard it. He, he heard it. He got the message. And that's what led him to tear his clothes, put on sackcloth, and enter the temple to worship. Now, tests often begin with a message. You get a phone call. You get a text. You get an email, you get a church communication, and bummer, you're facing a test. This is not fair, because it happened to me last night. I think the Lord planned it so that I would have something to say when I came to preach to you this morning. I went home after our seminar, and I made the mistake of checking my email. And there's a dear couple in our church who's been in our small group for six or seven years, and they want to leave the small group. I thought, oh. Dear Jesus, why did I have to read this now? I'm working with this church, and now this, this burden from home, a thousand miles away, has followed me to this. And you know, sometimes you get a communication, and you can't get it out of your mind. It, it keeps you awake. You think about it. You try to switch channels in your brain, but you keep drifting back to the thing that is now troubling you. So these tests often begin with some kind of communication. And look at Isaiah as he, excuse me, Hezekiah, as he assesses the situation around him. He says, this is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. For children have come to birth, and there is no strength to deliver. My friends, just in our culture today, as it relates to the church of Jesus Christ versus our culture, 
We are living in a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. That is the circumstances we find ourselves in outside the walls of the church. But sometimes that finds its way into the wall, inside the walls of the church. And we have to, like Hezekiah did, go and seek a word from God. Why is this happening? What does it mean? What should we do? When we go through this little statement that Hezekiah makes, this word rebuke, it suggests divine chastisement. Hezekiah understood that though the army was at the door, it was God who opened the door for them to be there. Rejection suggests that Isaiah believes an army at the gate can only mean one thing. God has rejected his people. That's the way he interpreted the fact that this vast army was outside the walls of Jerusalem. How could God allow this to happen? Well, he must have rejected his people. And isn't this kind of the way, I mean, this is the way I think when a test comes into my life or I get bad news, I say to myself, what, what did I do, right? Is there sin in my life? Did I, did I mess something up? Why is this happening to me? And see, Hezekiah is interpreting it the same way. This is a day of rejection. Lord, what did I do wrong that these circumstances should come upon us? Then he says this little picturesque phrase, children come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. What a touching little phrase he uses to describe the distress they were in. I have four kids. I remember one in particular. It seemed like my wife was on the verge of life and death while she was delivering that baby. That's the way it looked to me. The suffering versus the, the hope on the verge of life and death. Personally, I was born breached and jaundiced. So that explains why I've been doing things backwards ever since, right? But there is something that happens at the point of birth. We're so excited for that new possibility. But then there's so much pain that goes into the process. You wonder, is this really going to happen? Is it going to turn out well? And, I, and Hezekiah is saying, it's a time when we're coming to the point of birth and the mother has no strength to deliver. She's failing. The pulse is growing weak. That's how desperate Hezekiah felt in the situation that he faced. And yet he goes and he seeks spiritual counsel from Isaiah. Who is your Isaiah? Who do you go to when you need understanding and insight into a difficulty that you're facing? We all have those kind of people in our lives. It may be someone on staff here, a pastor or a lay leader who you're connected with in a small group, something like that. A parent, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother that you go to for advice and difficulty. Who is your Isaiah? Seek some spiritual counsel when these things come into our lives. I'll give you a church example. Uh, years ago, I was called, I shared some of this story yesterday. Years ago, I was a little south of you. I was down in Iowa. Uh, working with a Quaker church. Now, Blessing Point Ministries had never worked with a Quaker church before. I didn't know that much about Quakers. I know they have oatmeal, right? Uh, they, they actually sued the company that uses the image of that Quaker on the oatmeal, uh, and they lost. That's why that guy's picture is still there. But uh, I, I didn't know anything about Quakers. All I knew was that they were quiet, that they didn't like war, right? Uh, and they like to listen to Jesus in their heart and the kind of subjective kind of thing. But they said that they would submit to the authority of God's word, so I went to work with them. Their church had a very interesting history. They had three problems. They had a building that had had problems from the day they built it in the 1800s, and they had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on buildings, maintaining buildings. Uh, 
ridiculous things that would happen, break, constant drain on finances. They had only had, they didn't even have pastors in the early years, so they started having pastors in, I think, around uh, 1812, and for, or 1912, and so for 100 years, this particular church had had 30 pastors in 100 years. Now, this was a church where um, some of the people there had been in the church for 50 years. There was one couple there that had only been there 35 years, and they were still considered visitors. So if you've been in a church 35 or 50 years, and the pastor has been changing every three years, what is your attitude going to be to the next servant of God who comes to fill the pulpit? You'd just be looking at your watch. How long is he going to be here? Right? It creates a break in the relationship that a normal, healthy congregation would have with their shepherd. Right? They had another problem. Uh, they didn't have evangelical in their name like you guys do. Okay? Half the congregation was evangelical. Half of it was liberal. Now, when you went back in their history, all these things made sense. But when we were sitting in a room trying to figure out what it was that was tying these three problems together, uh, and we're going back and forth, a little 85-year-old lady steps up and says, could it be that we stopped listening to Jesus a long time ago? For a Quaker to say, could it be we've stopped listening to Jesus a long time ago? The room went pin drop silent because they knew that that was the issue. And they went to prayer and began to repent, and God began to heal their ministry. They sought spiritual counsel again. If you want to handle your tests in the way God can bless, seek spiritual counsel. Now, sometimes the test is so challenging, we've got to go to God more than once. Uh, so the second uh, suggestion I want to offer you is to handle your test in a way God can bless. Lay your situation before the Lord. Lay your situation before the Lord. Look at verses eight, or excuse me, 14 through 19. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Now there's another letter. Okay, the first news came, and then the enemy sends another letter. Very discouraging. Uh, then Hezekiah took the second letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Beautiful imagery here. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, you are enthroned above the cherubim. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and, and listen to the reproach of the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have devoured, de devastated the nations and their lands, and, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of a man's hand, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hezekiah reads this letter that is designed, artfully designed, to make him lose his confidence in God. I mentioned that I got an email. I read the email last night. And I sighed, and I said, okay, this is a bummer. And then I went through my junk mail, which was also a mistake, because there was a second email about this situation that I did not see when I checked my normal email. And the second email, to me, was like a knife in my heart, just like that. Have you ever gotten a message like that that so discourages you? You're like, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? And so, again, sometimes a message, a communication, a test comes into our lives, and 
Getting spiritual counsel may not be enough. Sometimes you've got to lay it before the Lord, just like Hezekiah laid that letter before the Lord. Sometimes you've got to lay it before Jesus. So Hezekiah goes back to the throne, goes back to the house of the Lord, lays it out before God. What do we do when such news finds its way across our desk? Do we lay it out on Facebook? Do we gossip about it? Do we fret about it? Do you want to handle your test in a way that God, do we blame others for it? If you want to handle your test in a way God can bless, we need to spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah did not know the answer to the test. He did not know. We know because we can read the whole story. But he did not know what the answer to the test was. He knew the Lord had the answer to the test. So like any good student, when they come across a question they can't answer, they ask for help. And that is what Hezekiah does. He knew the teacher would help. There's another church I know. This one is in Birmingham, Alabama. And when I drove my car up to the church to first visit with them to do what we're doing with your church, I looked at the church and I thought, who would ever visit a church that looked like this? It was a traditional-looking brick church set up high on a hill but it had the ugliest steeple you have ever seen in your life. It was completely rusted. It was oxidized from top to bottom. And I said, "What? How? who would visit a church that looked like this? Well, there was a story behind the rusty steeple. Not a story I have time to share now. But when we got into that church's history, they had a, they had a thing happen in their history that caused their entire ministry to corrode just like that steeple. It was a dramatic moment in 1963. Remember where this church was? Birmingham, Alabama. It was in the heart of the civil rights movement. And in 1963, who should show up at their door but Martin Luther King Jr. himself and 30 of his friends? Unannounced. Hoping that he would be finding acceptance to worship with them on a Sunday morning. What did he find? He found deacons and elders at the door to greet him, keeping him out of the church. And to make their point, they had their hands on their guns, half drawn. That church had been, before that Sunday, 1,500 people. Glorious ministry. On that day, the next week, they were down to 750. The next week, they were to 325. And over the next 50 years, they dwindled down to 30 people. Now, when we did the historical review for this church with a group of their leaders and, and uh, people from the church, no one knew that this has happened. It had been 50 years. All new people had cycled into the church. The story came out because we found it in research. Everyone was shocked and devastated. That was the spiritual heritage of their church. They took it sincerely. They took it to heart. They repented before Jesus of this whole episode, and God began to bless their ministry again. Uh, the funny thing is, is they, had, they still had the rusty steeple. All right? So now they have a fiberglass steeple. And how did they get a fiberglass steeple? Because I don't know, you, you don't have a steeple, do you? Steeples are very expensive. It's very surprising how expensive a steeple is. So uh, they got a new fiberglass steeple, and they had to fix other things in the building, too, that had fallen apart. And in a relatively short period of time, uh, money started coming in the mailbox from strangers all over the country, just spontaneously sent to this church. The pastor would go out to the mailbox, find a check for $18,000, 
This is a small church, 30, 40 people. The next week he'd find one for $14,000. The next week he'd find one for $5,000. He was so excited to go to the mailbox, as you can imagine, right? So by the end of all his mailbox trips, he was like at $100,000 that came in. And now, ironically, that ministry that rejected Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963 has a thriving multicultural ministry in the middle of Birmingham, Alabama. You see, sometimes the enemy is at the gate, and the test comes, and we fail the test, and then we've got to make things right about the test, and the Lord's blessing, again, becomes apparent. That's why the name of our ministry is Blessing Point. So, third point, let me suggest to you. To handle a test in a way God can bless, this is the easy part. Let God handle your test. Right? Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? Let God handle your test. Look at verses 32 to 37. This is the end of the story. Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return the same way. And he, he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend the city for my own sake and for the sake of David's and my servant David's sake. This is really amazing. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early, there were some leftover men. When men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. It came about that as he was worshiping in the house of Nicrosh, his god, that Adremelech and Sharzer killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, became king in his place. Now, the Lord gives uh, Hezekiah four assurances. Sennacherib will not come into the city. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not get close to Jerusalem. He will not lay siege to it. Then he gives him a couple of promises. The enemy will return the way he came. And he says, I will defend the city for my name's sake and for the sake of David, my servant. God cannot promise anything uh, by any higher standard than by his own name's sake. His reputation is at stake when he makes such a promise. It's a done deal. He's decided this is what's going to happen. But sometimes... We, in our Christian walk with the Lord, in our church walk with the Lord, the test comes, and we need to lay it before the Lord. We need to let the Lord handle our test. I don't know about you, but instead of letting the Lord handle the test, sometimes I do some other things, right? I don't always get to letting the Lord handle it right away. One thing I do is I do, um, I do the worry dance. Have you ever done the worry dance? The worry dance is when worry is your dance partner. Wait, do evangelical free people dance? I need to know. Because I go to Presbyterian church, and they're probably okay with it. I, just, I don't want to step on your toes. So maybe it's a square dance. So uh, the worry dance is when worry is your dance partner. And he, worry, is taking the lead. And worry is stepping on your toes. And worry goes to give you a dip and then drops you. 
wor the worry dance reminds me, have you ever seen pictures of those old-timey dance contests where people would just try to stay on the dance floor as long as they possibly could, and the last couple standing wins something? And, I mean, you look at these couples in the pictures, and they're, you know, they're half awake, half alive, and their judges are going around, no, you're done, you're done, you're done. That's what worry will do to you. You're going to look like one of those half alive dance partners in a dance contest because worry will wear you out. That's what I sometimes do instead of letting God handle my test. Another thing I can do instead of worrying, I try to figure out a solution on my own. Anybody here like that? We just, I know, I, I can, it's like, it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's involuntary. I don't even have to tell myself figure out a solution. It's just, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure something out. That's not the same as letting God take care of the test. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands, which is common. God's taking too long to solve my problem, and something must be done. Uh, we get all practical and call it spiritual. Usually these kind, the, all these kinds of solutions get us in trouble. I know of another church. It was birthed way back in the 70s, and uh, they had a, a rather uh, flamboyant, not flamboyant, but uh, popular pastor, and, and the, the church grew rapidly. Uh, it became an example in their denomination for other churches. It was held up as an example. Look what this church is doing. You can do it too. Uh, and then he uh, had a moral failure, and it was a moral failure that he failed and did not want to confess to for a year. And over the course of the year, that church dwindled down to 30 people, left with a huge mortgage for their new building. And as you kind of work through their history, you discover that this church has a history of taking things into their own hands. When it was founded, the founders said, oh, we want a church of our denomination closer to our homes. So can we start one closer to our homes? But when they started this new church, instead of starting that denominational church, they started an independent church. I said, this is strange. Help me understand why you started an independent church when you told your previous pastor you wanted to start one of the same denomination. The truth slowly trickles out that they didn't like the leadership decisions that were being made at the previous church. Can you imagine a church started with a lie? Do you think God can bless that? And they continually took matters into their own hands over and over again. And they couldn't escape that. They couldn't, even after they repented, they could not escape that behavior. And that church has no longer got a place uh, in Atlanta anymore. It's gone. My friends, there is great danger in not letting God handle your tests, especially if you pick one of these other alternatives where you take matters in, into your own hands. <clears throat> but if we do like Hezekiah did, the outcome is very different. He let God handle his test. And what was the result? In one night, without Hezekiah lifting a finger, the Assyrian army was decimated. When Sennacherib discovered all the dead soldiers, he decided it would be a good time to go back to Nineveh. And the language here suggests that when Sennacherib left town, he did so in a hurry. <laughs> Can you imagine? So tonight, or this morning, I want to leave you with just a couple of challenges. 
Are you facing a test this morning in your personal life? Have you sought spiritual counsel? Have you laid it out before the Lord? Have you asked Him to handle your test? Let me plead with you. Handle your tests in a way God can bless. Because this will determine the fruitfulness of our lives and our ministries. Or maybe you've mishandled a test in life. Uh, We are all human. I have mishandled them. And at such times I have to go to God and ask forgiveness and healing and hope that I can make a better choice next time. So if you have maybe not handled the test well, as I close this in prayer, this would be a good time to lay it before the Lord again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful body of believers that lives in the context of this beautiful land that uh, is warm today with snow outside, and it reminds us of your peace and the picturesque, picturesque nature of your love for us. We confess, Lord, that we have not always handled tests in a way that you can bless, and we ask your forgiveness. And Lord, maybe someone today, this morning, has, has received some communication that has caused them distress. I hope this message was an encouragement to them to draw near to you, to lay it out before you, and to find that sense of peace that passes understanding as they turn it over to you with thanksgiving, that you will help them and you will guide them. And we commit ourselves afresh to you today in Jesus' name.